0: Maria, Welcome to First Up, it's Rapa, that's Wednesday, the 1st of March. Coming up, Foreign Minister Nanaia Mahuta meets her Japanese counterpart. We speak with our correspondent Chris Gilbert in Tokyo. Greens co-leader Marima Davison is with us for a green perspective on the events of the week. No power and no way out. 15 days after Cyclone Gabrielle, residents of a cut-off Hawke's Bay settlement say they feel forgotten. And almost 400 mils of rain in a day, an Northland farmer describes saving his home and his herd.
1: They get their heads up pretty high and they go for it. It's just like a dog, they dog pedal. And they can swim some considerable distance. They have big barrelly bellies on them, you know, they're very floaty.
0: Welcome to First Up. It's St David's Day today, and when I have a look around, I think, gee, St Patrick's Day, that gets a lot of shine, doesn't it? Really outshines uh, St Andrew's Day and St David's Day. St George, do you have one? I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, so um, happy, happy Wales to you, uh, Welsh listeners of New Zealand or... Uh, people with Welsh ancestry. I hope you have a, a wonderful day today with your rear bit. Fantastic. Anyway, uh, let's kick off the programme this morning in Tokyo. And as always, when we speak uh, about uh, issues from there, we're joined by a correspondent, Chris Gilbert, who told me about New Zealand's foreign minister meeting with her Japanese counterpart.
2: That's right. Nanaya Mahuta and Foreign Minister Hayashi from Japan are uh, meeting. They met yesterday, in, in fact, and they discussed nuclear non-proliferation. Now, of course, this is all in relation to the rhetoric that is coming from Russia in relation to the war in Ukraine. And Japan also has, I don't know if you've noticed, North Korea as a neighbor uh, pursuing a nuclear program right next door. Mm. And on top of that, Japan's also also hosting the G7 Summit this year in Hiroshima, one of the only two places in the world and in the country to have experienced a nuclear attack. So uh, the Prime Minister Kishida is really uh, set to kind of make it a theme of the G7 this year, this anti-nuclear weapon approach, this anti-nuclear proliferation subject. And so that's something that obviously New Zealand and Japan really share in common. It's interesting, however, that New Zealand's anti-nuclear stance does extend to energy as well. Japan, not so much. In fact, when the uh, Fukushima earthquake happened 11 years ago, and uh, the, the nuclear reactor there melted down, they shut down all the reactors in the country, and they're looking to slowly start their operation back up again of all these uh, nuclear power plants around the country. And Japan's also looking to uh, start discharging wastewater from, uh, the, that was used to cool uh, the Fukushima nuclear power plant into the Pacific ocean, Mm -hmm. so I'm not sure how New Zealand feels about that with Japan. The word disarmament also came up too in this conversation, which is incredibly interesting as Japan is mostly, quote, a disarmed pacifist country which has just ordered 500 high-tech Tomahawk missiles from the U.S., so the (laughs) uh, talk of disarmament from Japan is very interesting, one might say, through gritted teeth. Um, And what is behind this language, some insight, is that there is a phrase that came up in uh, the talks between the foreign ministers, which is They agree to cooperate and work towards a free and open Indo-Pacific. Now, you might be thinking, hmm, a free and open Indo-Pacific, where have I heard that before? Well, how about literally anywhere, anytime that Japan has met with any other country? This is a phrase that Japan has invented, has been adopted in multiple defense pacts with countries like the UK, Canada, the US, South Korea, Australia, and now New Zealand. And it's when these countries kind of want to elbow each other and point towards China's growing military and economic influence in the region without actually mentioning China per se. Now, what cooperate looks like is different from country to country. The question for New Zealand journalists when the foreign minister comes home is that will there be any kind of defence pact with Japan? And how is New Zealand going to cooperate with Japan in this, uh, I guess, mission? Is it going to uh, supply personnel, aircraft? Is it going to be part of joint war games in the future like Australia is? Will it simply send over tax dollars? New Zealand does seem to be one or two steps behind in other countries like Australia who have signed defence pacts to do these kinds of operations with Japan. The foreign minister does say that they want to start at a working level, whatever that means. Uh, But that language usually means we're talking, we're meeting, we're agreeing, but no deliverables just yet.
0: All right. Hey, uh, now, when they do come up to kick the tires and find out what we have to do as part of this agreement, one of the cool things is you can buy anything you want in Japan, and there's amazing food stalls, although uh, this one is a little different. Tell us about the place
2: selling octopus balls. That is an amazing segue, Nate, for what this story is about. Okay, so some things you need to know about this story is that in Japan, they... Really, really oppose illicit things, right? And that means means no substances whatsoever. But they love naughty things like fried foods. They love fried foods. Enough to look at an octopus and think, hmm, I might chop up a tentacle put it in some batter with some pickles and onions, fry the whole thing up into a spherical nugget. That is takoyaki, and it's kind of like a street food here. The last element you need to know is about a city called Nagoya. Nagoya is a place that exists between Tokyo and Kyoto. That's all you need to know about Nagoya. Actually, there's one more thing you need to know, which is that if you went to a certain takoyaki stand in Nagoya, shamed takoyaki stands throughout the country by selling cocaine on the side. Sorry, Um, octopus balls and cocaine. That's right. (laughs) Octopus balls and cocaine. I assume that is off menu. Sure. Um, but still, um, still something that could be provided if you said a secret code word they would slip a little Ziploc of something-something into your takeout bag of takoyaki. The good thing is that Japan is incredibly into single-use plastic, so it's very easy to disguise your cocaine and smuggle it around in your takeaways. <laughs> it did turn out that the people working in the stand, 29-year-old Masamichi Shimizu and his 31-year-old employee, they were busted with a 07 Grams of coke, not a lot, that's probably one teaspoon, one bump, and they traced it back, the police traced it back to a hostess bar in Mie prefecture that's right next door to Nagoya, and then it got traced back to guess who? You know it, everyone knows that we love the Yakuza.
0: That's Chris Gilbert with all of the interesting stuff from Japan. <laughs> You're listening to First Up here on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarere. Uh, Exciting day for New Zealand cricket yesterday. Were you able to follow along very well? Uh, Let us know. 2101, 2101. We go to our Pacific neighbours now, and I'm joined from Tonga by our correspondent, Kalafi Moala. Morena Kalafi, how are you? Uh, Good, thank you. Good morning. Hey, so the, the Pacific leaders met over the past week there. They welcomed Kiribati back into the fold. Tell us about that. Yes, uh, it's a very significant uh, retreat that took
3: place in Fiji last week. And all the Pacific leaders were there. Uh, Very important to welcome Kiribati back because in July last year, they broke out of the retreat. And they had expressed discontentment uh, because of the appointment of the Secretary General. Apparently, there has been an agreement that it would uh, rotate between Melanesia Uh, And Polynesia and Micronesia, and it was Micronesia's turn, but then uh, former Prime Minister Henry Puna of uh, Cook Islands was appointed. Anyway, I think they have sorted that out, and uh, Kiribati is back uh, with the forum, and there is a push for greater unity.
0: Now, you mentioned there about Henry Puna, how un, you know unpopular it was with them. But now there's a new secretary general uh, there. Tell us about Baron Waka. Yes, Baron uh, Waka uh,
3: himself, uh, former president of Nauru. Uh, he's going to be, be the new secretary general beginning in 2024. He's a very controversial figure uh, because he famously clashed with a Chinese diplomat Accused Beijing of bullying the smaller countries of the Pacific uh, But uh, anyway, Micronesia has uh, endorsed fully his leadership He's also a controversial figure in the fact that he had uh, uh, um, Banned foreign journalists and when he was president from visiting. now There was a fallout between the government and national and uh, international journalists. So He's got a record in uh, in being uh, anti-freedom of, uh, of, of media.
0: It's going to be interesting to see what happens during his leadership. It is. Now, th- uh, this is an interesting thing too. So, Pacific people, Australia is to welcome more uh, Pacific people as permanent residents. How many and, and why? 3,000 uh, people from
3: the Pacific region are... Uh, um, Oh, the door has been opened for them to migrate to Australia to become permanent residents. Uh, this was issued by the Ministry of uh, Foreign Affairs in Australia. And, and I think Australia is doing this to try to boost up their sh- shortage of workers in Australia. But the problem that that's going to create is that uh, the Pacific, especially Tonga and Samoa, have been expressing concerns and uh, not just a brain grain of uh, their local workers overseas. But there's a major local shortage of labour. And so to have 3,000 people from the Pacific into Australia, tremendous uh, opportunity for Pacific peoples to work there. But then again, it will create a problem in shortage of labour in the Pacific. Yeah.
0: And, and just finally, tell us about this, the Tongatapu 7. Why, why have they been in front of Tonga's courts? who are they? Well, one of the issues that have happened uh, in recent months
3: have been uh, the fact that there were members of parliament and there were high-ranking members of parliament. There were ministers uh, in government who were brought to court uh, because of bribery in the past election, 2021. And three of them were convicted and uh, basically lost their seats in parliament. And so here is a reaction toward the opposition party. One of their members uh, was brought in uh, recently into court, uh, accused of bribery. And this was just last week. Uh, the court decision was the, 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 the uh, plaintiff had not been able to prove uh, the charges, and so he was acquitted. But that's a, a, a big issue in Tonga, this bribery that has been going on in, in the elections And so uh, uh, next year, of course, uh,
0: coming around 2024, is the general election for Tonga. We will, and we'll check in with you for that. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, Kalafi Moala, who joins us every week out of Tonga. Well, the value of Neighbours has come to the fore here in New Zealand in the past few weeks. People have helped those living next door or in their street in sometimes life-saving situations. Neighbours Aotearoa is an event that's been going since 2009 and it's back on again, taking place all around the Motu and encouraging people to organise community events. Two of those taking part are the facilitator, uh, our facilitators, Melissa Hinden from Tāmaki Makoto and Lucette Parker from Ototahi. I
4: asked Melissa about this year's theme. Let's share. That's the theme for this year's Neighbours Aotearoa. And it's all about trying to encourage neighbours to connect with each other, whether that be with a cup of tea or something as big as a street party. It's up to individuals.
0: So, Lucette, let's talk about this then. So what about if you want to approach your neighbour but you're not quite sure, perhaps you've done that awkward thing where you've lived next to them for seven years and you, you just haven't kind of got each other's names yet. What's the way to breach that one?
5: Yeah, it's really very individual, but it might be just warming that up slowly by, you know, when you do see them smile or wave, you might not even talk to begin with. Like, we're really just encouraging people to build from where they are. So, you know, that might be the most comfortable thing to do with that person if it feels a bit awkward. You might want to just drop a note in their box, introducing yourself and saying, oh, you know, I realise we've been living together for a long time, but we've never really met and this is my name and it'd be nice to get to know you. Or often gift giving can be a really nice way for people. It really warms that space between you if you give them, you know, it might not be a whole cake, it might just be a few biscuits or, you know, something like that. So it's it doesn't necessarily require something that might be a bit of a risk like inviting them into your home it could just be I'm giving you something and we'll just leave it there and see if that goes anywhere.
0: Because I think, too, Melissa, one of the things is you think, oh, I wonder if you know people have any dietary restrictions or anything like that, too. So give us some good sort of starter events that people can get off with if they think, right, I'm, I'm going to get involved in this somehow. I'm going to be the, you know, because someone on the street's got to start th- start this. It's going to be me. Melissa, g- give me the,
4: the best starter events you've got for a rookie in this space. Well, I have two friends that I've recently spoken to about their events. And one is simply putting up a tire swing in the tree out on their street to invite all the kids and neighbors to gather around and swing on the tree to encourage those casual interactions. And another event that we're having on my street, we're having a free garage sale and inviting everyone on the street to put out anything that they would like to pass on. We're all doing it on the same day and simply just putting our items out on the verge for the day. So it doesn't have to be elaborate. It can be quite simple. Another thing that I've done is put, as Lizette said, a little introduction note in my neighbor's mailbox with, with a few little biscuits to say hi.
0: And that must have gone over well. What, what happened? Did, did they come over and talk to you or did you get biscuits back? How did it work?
4: what we ended up sharing back was some rubbish tags because um, one of us had run out of rubbish tags. But at least we'd established those lines of communication. Yeah. So that sort of made it easier for us to contact each other because we'd already had that little introduction. But I think people just naturally would like to connect with their neighbours, but they're just not quite sure how. And sometimes it's about being the brave one to make the first move.
0: Yeah, you know, you're right there with the, with the rubbish tags, too. It's, it's you know, because there's always the classic, you know, the 1960s neighbour comes over and knocks on the window for a cup of sugar, uh, which would be quite freaky nowadays for that to happen. So I think that's right, because, I mean, even we've seen it recently, haven't we, where weather events have struck people and they've thought, I need to be able to help. So we've almost had just recently, I know, in Hawke's Bay, uh, my sister-in-law ended up taking in four other families into her house. And it, so you, you need your neighbours, don't you? Absolutely. Like-
4: Definitely. These events lately have reminded us that meeting your neighbour and knowing your neighbours is is nice, but it's not only nice, it could actually save your life. After the Christchurch
0: earthquakes, I believe, Lucette, there was a lot went on there. What were the things that worked there for, for neighbours?
5: Well, I was really involved in the arts during the Christchurch earthquakes. And I noticed that, that you know, so many people just made everything available. and you know, neighbours were there for each other with like those basic resources and just go, you know, I mean, like there's all the different sort of time frames. like immediately afterwards, it was just walking around the neighbourhood, knocking on people's doors and just saying, what happened for you? Are you okay? What do you need? You know? And then as time went on, it was, can we help look after your kids a bit? Can we keep people active in their community? Like just a, such a wide range of things.
0: So L- Lisette, tell me this, uh, I've heard this now, I'm thinking oh, this might be quite good, is there a website I can go to or is there somewhere I could, you know, jump on just to get inspired a little bit more because, you know, sometimes inspiration needs an extra push?
5: Hi, we have uh, neighbours and yep, there are ideas there, we've also got resource packs, so there's little packs about how to plan and put on your project, they've also got printable resources, so if you want something you can just print out and write a little bit on to put in your neighbor's net letterbox that's all there ideas about events and you can also go to the page that shows the events that people have already registered so there's a huge range there i just found out that about the sport of kabadi because i was the person <laughs> uploading those onto the website over the weekend and going okay somebody's having a game of kabadi what is that Do you know so the real range of things happening
0: that's uh, Lucette Parker and Melissa Hinden, felicit, uh, felicitators of Neighbours Aotearoa. Just um, stretch before you do some kabade. There you are. And that's on uh, This Month in Your Neighbourhood. <laughs> 23 past five. Um, Nathan Raditya here at First Up on RNZ National. Coming up, Green Party co-leader Marama Davidson, and also we're going to speak to the residents of a little Hawke's Bay settlement who feel like they've been forgotten. This week on Trade Me, one of the most recognisable buildings in Wellington is up for sale, and it could be yours for just under $17 million Bargain. Uh, but first, producer Jeremy Parkinson talks with Millie Sylvester from Trade Me about research into our growing love of buying and selling second-hand goods.
6: Yeah every year we do a bit of a deep dive into our circular economy to find out what we think of second hand goods if we're selling them you know if we're buying them and it's been a really interesting report that we've done since 2019 because you know we've wanted to track how this is going and this year what we found was that the circular economy is absolutely thriving but there's two main drivers behind that and that is the rising cost of living and sustainability being Really, really front of mind for Kiwi, which has had them, you know, considering secondhand a lot more than we've seen in previous years.
7: So I guess less waste is a good thing.
6: Absolutely. And you know, I think the the other thing is, I think we're a little bit more maybe attuned to the fact that pre-loved items are actually cool. Shopping vintage and wearing vintage fashion is cool again. And so we're seeing a real shift in the number of Kiwi who are considering buying or buying and selling to make a bit of money. There might be something that's been lying around their house for a while that's worth a few hundred bucks. And, you know, right now we could all do with a few more hundred dollars.
7: Yeah, and imagine, think of all of us with storage places, all of that stuff. (laughs) Who uses it? To be fair, that's why it's in storage. You could go through any of that stuff and there'll be someone that wants to buy something of yours that you no longer use. So that's, uh, that's what it's all about, isn't it?
6: Absolutely. And, you know, it's also nice to know that, you know, rather than something going in the bin, it's getting another lease on life. And, you know, I think that that's what it's all about.
7: Now, property wise this week on Trade Me is I'm an Aucklander and even I know this building in Wellington. It's 73 to 75 Hawker Street in Mount Vic. It is the old, uh, it's a monastery, isn't it? St. Gerard's Church and Monastery. Now, this you'll have to dig pretty deep for. It's up for 16, nearly 17 million dollars
6: this property honestly is the most iconic property in wellington if not in all new zealand and yeah if you've flown into wellington before or you've walked around oriental bay you will have seen this beautiful brick church perched up on the hill it's just such a visual landmark for the city And, you know, it's been sitting there overseeing all of Wellington's central city for well over 100 years. And now the church and the monastery have gone up for sale. Now, the buildings were designed by two of Wellington's most known architects, John Swan and Frederick de Jersey Clare. And although the the two buildings were kind of built two decades apart, the kind of Gothic revival detailing that you'd expect really actually complements each other so well. And you would never know that they were built with a bit of a gap in between them them. Now, honestly, this, the views from these images and from the, where this property is are absolutely breathtaking, and it has to be the best views of Wellington City. And now I know from what I've even heard that there had been rumours about what was going to become of this church for, for quite a few years. Most recently, I heard that it was going to become a hotel, but obviously being a heritage building, I think there will be some limitations with what you can do with this particular property, but with an RV of 17 million, you know, you really are going to have to dig deep or perhaps maybe, you know, get a few friends to go in together and this could become, you know, your mansion on the hill. Who knows? But it's going to be very interesting to see what will become of this absolute iconic landmark because it is spectacular and really cool to see it on site.
7: And if you're into African animals at all, you can bid on the opportunity to hang out with Auckland zoos Ungulates, though the giraffes, the zebras, those kind of things. There's also an ostrich or two in there, isn't there?
6: Yes, there is. So Auckland Zoo do such an amazing job at, you know, I guess raising money, and they often do this by allowing kiwi to go along and kind of, you know, meet and feed and and hang out with all of these amazing different species of animals. So this one is obviously to hang out with, yeah, ostrich and giraffe and, and feed them and I guess learn about their fascinating quirks and, and personalities and also, you know, all the mahi that goes on behind the scenes to, to keep these guys safe. It's a very cool opportunity for you and for friends. You get to hang out at Auckland Zoo for the morning, you get to go in behind the scenes, get a bit down and dirty with it and, you know, feed all these amazing animals. So the bid is currently at 1000 this one closes on Thursday at 8pm. Um, but really cool for those animal lovers out there who also want to you know, raise some money for conservation.
0: Mm, it's Millie Sylvester there from Trade Me. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. As I opened the program, I uh, told you there, March the 1st is uh, St David's Day, the National Day of Wales. Uh, I did some Googling to find out about it. It says, uh, normally celebrated by uh, eating traditional Welsh food, including call and Welsh rabbit. Yeah. Happy birthday. Well, he's not with us anymore. Uh, we miss him. He was the, the dad, Jason Seaver, on Growing Pains. Alan Thicke. It was actually Ellen Jeffrey was his real name. He went with Thicke as his acting name. I'm not sure why, but he was born on this day in 1947. Uh, still with us, Catherine Bark, Daisy Duke. She's 69 years old today. Ron Howard, who, you know, Ron Howard, but he's actually uh, dominating uh, Netflix right now, particularly in the States. They, they love his uh, documentary about Ficati White Island. Uh, he's also 69 years old today, so maybe him and Daisy can have a combined birthday. Dirk Benedict, you either... Do you value him most as Face Man or Starbuck? 2101, uh, there you go, two, you can't say both. 2101, Dirk Benedict, I just heard it both in my ears, uh, so face man or Starbuck, you'd know him as. And Harry Belafonte is 96 years old today. Well, uh, speaking of birthdays, The Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd turns 50 today. Captain America was born on this day in 1941. Joe Simon created him. He originally created him as Super American. Uh, and then decided actually, there's too many things called super. So they went with Captain. He was, of course, the patriotic uh, superhero in the very first issue. The captain punches Adolf Hitler in the face. Anyway, and on this day in 2006, Wikipedia reached its one millionth article, which was about the Jordan Hill railway station. I tried to find the most interesting part of that article, and here it is. The station has a very small park. A car park, 11 spaces. It's not permanently staffed, but it contains a ticket machine, uh, one of an initial batch of 10 installed by SPT in late 2003. So there you are. That's the fascinating world of Wikipedia and the Jordan Hill Railway Station Post, which is the one millionth article.
1: It's business. It's business time. That's what you're trying to say. You're trying to say, let's get down to business. It's business time. Yes, business.
0: And it's Giles Bigford time. ora, Giles, how are
8: you? i oh, well, thank you Nathan. I've uh, I've got the first dollar for the uh, monastery on the Wellington Hill. Yeah, yeah let's and go I've on. I've got a that. solution for it. Since they can't find a hotel chain that wants to take it over mm. and develop it because it's just not uh, not big enough really. Why don't we revert to what it was, back to its original use? Let's bring in some monks. Yeah. Right, make them. I won't say a tourist attraction, but look, there's bound to be a pile of monks somewhere in the world that want a monastery. Some of that Trappist Belgian beer is very nice. You, I, I a- think, you've got an ulterior motive there. <laughs> Never <laughs> yeah, mind. Speaking economies. of ulterior motives, yes, um, yes, yes. Our topic this morning is credit, and the fact is, we're getting deeper into debt, uh, and and that's a worry. We're getting back into levels not seen before uh, the pandemic. So, latest numbers from the Credit Bureau Centrix shows about 12% uh, of us uh, were in arrears uh, in our debt uh, in January. That's about 430-odd thousand people. Uh, And the really worrying one is the number of households behind on mortgage payments, and that's risen to its highest level in nearly three years. Uh, It's risen by uh, 20-odd percent in the past year alone. So, Yeah, we were thinking it was quite good. People can cope with rising interest rates, but it's probably, you know, now the pinches, the rubbers, really starting to hit the road. They're really starting to feel the pinch in household budgets. Uh, And the one saving grace, if one can say that, is that uh, people have jobs by and large. We have full employment. That's always a bit of a buffer. But you know, we have to reckon that it's going to get a bit tougher. As the Reserve Bank keeps raising interest rates, that pinch will keep going on.
0: But if the starting point is feeding yourself, that's really expensive. Like, it's taking up so much more of what you, you know of what your household, of what your take-home pay used to be. I think it, it all starts there.
8: Food inflation uh, yeah. for the past year was, what, 10 11%, perhaps a little bit higher. Uh, and it will not come down given the, le- the latest weather events, which have affected production. Uh, undoubtedly, of course, prices will go up. So, uh, at least we haven't... One thing I'm thankful about, we haven't got to the absurd thing as they have in Britain when they're saying, well, you can't get you know, a lot of vegetables, so just eat turnips. Eat your turnips. Eat your turnips. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but thank The first person who says that in this country, I think we should have a public campaign to hound them out. <laughs> S- send them to Scotland somewhere like that. Or, never mind. or we'll
0: buy a big ex big monastery and we'll just lock them in there. Yeah, that. that's right.
8: Okay. And in your uh, question about, uh, I think it's Starbucks. Mr. Bogan.
0: Oh, really? A bit, yeah, Battlestar Galactica. It was good, yeah. wasn't it? That one. Well, series. I don't know.
8: It's it's really biddy cheesy. I mean, there are replays on it at the moment, but yeah, but yeah. the
0: Cylons were very cool. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. When when we would come back from Napier, and I was a kid, I used to sit in the back, in the middle, on purpose because I felt like I was in one of those Cylon ships. Well, just, well, like my Borg, are just like
8: the Borgs were pretty cool actually yeah. uh, on Star Trek
0: with the jobs going, thank just you very much no.
8: alright All All
0: right, right, cheers take care uh, yeah Giles Beckford there from the business team on Morning Report this morning at 1027 um, Cylon's cool with the Stormtroopers I think they'd win, them, win in a fight there you go um th- and in the uh, the midweek money market because uh, stormtrooper can't hit anything with their what they shoot. Uh, so the midweek money markets now your New Zealand dollar is shopping. It's buying things. It's buying sixty one point six nine US cents, ninety one point five eight Australian cents, fifty eight point oh four Euro cents, fifty point nine zero British pence, four point two one and eighty four point three seven Japanese yen. Well, a farmer described how several of his cows swam for their lives after 377 millimetres of rain fell in the Northland's town of Mangafai Roger Bennett, who's been farming in Hakaru, which is a settlement between Mangafai and Kaiwaka, uh, for 35 years. Uh, his local rain gauge recorded 377 mils of rain from Friday, uh, from midday on Friday until 9pm with a whopping 280 millimetres falling in, in just three hours of that. Roger, Roger told our reporter Leonard Powell how he saved his herd and his house.
1: I just pulled my motorbike out of a swamp that jumped in front of me. How's that for an act of stupidity? I'm driving along looking at animals, looking at fences, looking at debris and drove straight into a bloody swamp. Never mind.
9: You can't blame Roger Bennett for being a little distracted. The Hakaru farmer has been dealing with the havoc wreaked on his community from Friday night's deluge. But he doesn't want your sympathy.
1: I just don't want to come across as a whinger or a whiner. You with me? Our situation here is, it's awkward, but it's not life-threatening. It's not bloody going to threaten our farms, our livelihoods. And it's not anywhere near as dire as those are down south. And the last thing I want to do is go on bloody radio and uh, come across as a, as a whiner.
9: The situation that Roger is talking about is 280 mils of rain, which fell in just three hours, trapping people in cars and cutting mangawai off by road. He tells me how his Friday afternoon unfolded.
1: We had an appointment in Auckland. We got home at about one and it was raining, a quick sandwich and a coffee, and I'll go out and have a look at the stock. I said, "Um, I didn't get time to do that. A neighbour rang and hysterically said, look, your bulls are in trouble, your bulls are in trouble. I went down, and yes, our bulls were in trouble. Uh, Three had gone uh, into the river.
9: Eventually, Roger got his Herefords out of the river, but it was quite the ordeal.
1: They get their heads up pretty high, and uh, they go for it. It's just like a dog, they dog pedal. And they can swim some considerable distance. They're big barrelly bellies on them, you know, they're very floaty.
9: In the aftermath of the rain, three cows not belonging to the Bennetts floated to their farm, including a pet from a lifestyle block up the road.
1: Her bloke came and picked the cow up on the Sunday afternoon, I think. And it was quite amazing. Um, he was in the yards and he just saw him and, and he called the animal and the animal just walked up to him. Quite amazing.
9: As it turns out, the owners of the cow tried in vain to stop it from being washed away by the sweeping water.
1: The woman was trying to shift them and um, the thing vanished in front of her, literally. Uh, her, her, her partner, her bloke, he arrived here with his hand bandaged quite heavily, and um, he'd cut himself trying to save it, yeah.
9: The other two cows belong to a couple from a few kilometres up the river. All of the fences have been washed away from that farm, so the cows are staying put at the Bennetts for the time being. If it wasn't for quick thinking from Roger, digging an impromptu trench on his tractor, things could have been much worse.
1: The water started to come into our section from the main road. So the culverts on the road were no longer capable. It got to our back door. We had, uh, we had the beanbag that dog sleeps on jammed in there. We had every towel we could lay our hands on and it was starting to encroach. So I hopped on the tractor, put the front end loader, and um, basically I have um, re-contoured recont- our front lawn. I'm sitting here looking at it now and it's a, a mess. But our house is not a mess, so uh, we were lucky in that respect.
9: Fences will be rebuilt, Roger says, but the roads are his biggest concern.
1: The roading in the north has been absolutely hammered. The main road from Kaiwaka to Mangawai it, it is buggered. The road from Paparoa to, to Oakley that has been used as a bypass and that's been destroyed. The Brendurwins are severely compromised,
9: and those compromises have seen traffic taking gravel roads, like the one where Roger lives.
1: We live on a, a little road, Valley Road, and it, as we speak here now, there is just truck after truck, car after car. This, this pack and save bloody curtain side 18 wheelers there's camper vans there's all sorts of stuff you know and and they are using these back roads that were never ever designed for it the other thing is there's an awful lot of people that don't know how to drive on metal roads
0: that's Munga Fai Farmer Roger Bennett someone's messaged in Nathan I thought you'd be talking about the cricket today I'd love to I'd love to how about that what a comeback um but I'll do that later. Uh, look, it's uh, just we're heading towards six o'clock here. Uh, between now and the end of the first up program this morning, we're going to hear from a resident of this settlement, uh, a small town in uh, Hawke's Bay called Tutera, uh, where they've been cut off, and boy, they, they are—they're really desperate for some attention there. So we'll definitely bring it to them. The professionals of morning report are here after six. Current Dan. How
10: about Neil Wagner? How about it? How about that, Neil Wagner? Yeah, how about it? What I love game. Neil Wagner. I love what a, him. What an afternoon. Uh, and we'll have three hours of cricket this morning to cover off. Will that be enough? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> uh, we have actually got quite a bit of cricket. Uh, we've got to talk to Shane Bond, uh, former New Zealand cricketer, of course. Tom Blundell, the, uh, who had a fantastic game, who's proved to be um, an outstanding wicketkeeper and batsman for New Zealand, really has come on, hasn't he? Um, also, uh, some international reaction as well, because it, it has um, you know interesting reaction from the British. Press—they are sort of, kind of proud of that it was such a close game. Although I did see a little bit of, a little bit of controversy. Maybe there was a wide ball in that last. Oh yeah, over. the
0: second to the last ball. Right? Doesn't matter. It wasn't, was it? wasn't Wasn't called as a wide, so it's not. No, carry on.
10: Uh, no, but very enjoyable and uh, a great afternoon. Just a lift, I think uh, the team and the country needed. Really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was very good. Uh, now, we will have plenty of other things on the show. It won't be three hours of cricket, not quite. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have uh, politics, of course. Uh, Rob Campbell, uh, he spoke to Checkpoint last night. He'll speak to us again as well following his uh, sacking as chair of Tefato Order. Ora. Uh, we'll get reaction to that too, but also talk to Nationals leader, Christopher Luxon, for his weekly chat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll obviously uh, focus in on that. We'll look at the TikTok issue as well, which has blown up uh, with what federal... So they don't want anyone under
0: the age of 35 to work for them? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> just carry well,
10: on. Yeah, I mean, TikTok's pretty popular. It is. It's a very interesting story. Actually um, no one's using anything else that tracks your data like Google or anything well that's right yeah. that's right uh, so we'll see how that rolls and what influence that has uh, so yeah we'll get through all of that and as I say we'll have some fun with the cricket
0: good stuff thank you very much sir there is uh, Corinne, Dan and Kim Hill up after 6 well the rural area around Tutera you know around uh, Lake Tutera there north of Napier remains extremely isolated uh, that's more than two weeks after cycling Gabrielle so the farming community has been doing what it can to help those in need and clear up that sea of wreckage left in its wake but they badly need help our producer Matt Matthew Tunison spoke with Tuteta farmer Chloe Hill, who said they're starting to feel forgotten.
11: We woke up in the morning and we all sort of ventured outside and we were like, "Okay, there's a few trees down. And then we kind of looked around and we were like, oh, my God, there's like just mountains missing. And then we looked some more and we lost dams and all our culverts had blown out. Basic access on farms has just been wiped out. Gorge tracks are gone, culverts are gone. Like Anything that was like a steep to medium hillside has slipped away and just taken out fences. Um, There's a lot of, obviously, stuff from forestry, which is definitely an issue. And the silt is just everywhere.
12: Sheep and beef farmer Chloe Hill is among those largely stranded in the 25 kilometres or so around State Highway 2 between the washed-out Waikere Bridge to the north and to the south where the State Highway was washed out at the Devil's Elbow. Defence Force choppers and a few private helicopter operators have made it in with much-needed supplies, such as fuel for the generators, providing people with limited power, and locals have been working tirelessly to support their neighbours. But as the days turn to weeks, people are wondering, where's the help?
11: There is an absolute crisis in, in the farming community here right now, which I don't really understand why that has been so downplayed. And obviously I feel like... 15 days on, people are just slowly going, oh, yep, they've got it covered. Like, as time goes on, everyone kind of just walks away and there's less support. But actually, right now is when we need the support most.
12: The community has also been struck by tragedy. Local woman Shona Wilson died in a major landslip, after which her partner, Bill, spent hours trying to dig her out.
11: We're heartbroken for their family, a big family in this community, and and they're a lovely bunch of people Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what to say, to be honest. Um, We're just really heartbroken for their family and send lots of love and support to them at this time.
12: In the area, Portorino residents have set up a community hub at the local fire station, Two Tierra locals are meeting at the school, and the Waikawa community has been gathering at the town hall. There's a community day planned for this afternoon where people from throughout the affected area will get together and take stock of their collective situation. But it's clear the community's needs are varied, complex and considerable.
11: The thing we're struggling with is um, definitely the farming side. We've got animal welfare issues. We've got roading issues, which obviously affect the community as well. We've obviously got a lot of people have got no fencing left on their farms at all. Water systems are gone. So obviously as much as this rain isn't really welcomed right now, If we were back to 30 degrees, you know, in hot, sunny days like we had last week, there's definitely a big stress point there with people wondering what the heck they're going to do when we've got no water systems and no troughs left and like all of that kind of stuff. Like infrastructure has been wiped out.
12: And there's only so much the community can do for itself. Like
11: the most amazing part that we were just actually talking to a few people about today was just in the first few days of. Of this whole thing happening, just the amazing commitment from everybody in the community to basically get on diggers, get in tractors, come together, basically walk the roads, walk through slips to make sure that every single house had someone visit it and that everybody was accounted for and everyone was okay. And just from that time on, I guess, just. The disappointment again, the disappointment and the lack of action and the lack of support we 've all had, considering how much we achieved as a community in those first few four say four days, and we 're up to day fifteen, and just how now we 're all sort of sitting around wondering what 's happening and waiting waiting for some support and some help.
12: Chloe Hill hopes people will have a better idea of the support coming their way when they meet with stakeholders at the community meeting this afternoon. That's Tutera Farmer Chloe Hill. We'll
0: be following up too on how that community uh, meeting went and what help is being offered for those residents around there too and also sending out some thoughts too to people around Ropunga and that kind of way too uh, where we haven't heard from you but we, we hope you're okay. Boy, uh, a lot of uh, the political fans were jumping up and down yesterday. They had something to look at. Health Minister Aisha Varrell has sacked uh, Te Whatu Ora Chairperson Rob Campbell, I guess former now, for criticising the National Party's Three Waters uh, policy on social media. The government said that the comments breached the Code of Conduct. Mr Campbell said, well, I've already apologised to Christopher Luxon. What do others in Parliament think of the decision? Uh, let's ask the Green Party co-leader, Marama Davidson, who's up early for us. Thank you very much for that. What, what did you make of this decision to actually fire, Rob Campbell?
13: The the comments that Rob made about the scaremongering that National has been doing for co-governance, that they stand on their own and I completely agree with Rob on that. The move around um, Rob's employment, that is absolutely a matter for the Health Minister and I, I don't have anything to offer on that point, but the scaremongering I completely agree with.
0: Mm, mm. I th- I, yes, it was. It was interesting his point that he made. That I thought. What What do you reckon then uh, about Nationals' proposal for replacing free waters? Do you think it's clearly explained what it is and how it's going to be paid for? And is it better? No,
13: <laughs> my very sure answer okay. there is absolutely not. And again, the scare. What What is clear is the scaremongering has continued, and I'm the Greens, and I have been really clear this whole time that justice and ensuring that Māori are at the decision-making table around water is part of the salvation for our water, for everybody. And so scaremongering is still right there in National's plan without the detail or the costing. It seems to be pretty much the status quo is what they're proposing with a bit of uh, central government direction and some direction that councils have to um, spend their money and increasing their council's ability to borrow. What on earth? So, no, it's uh, it's really just a platform a campaign election. They're showing their colours to want to use Māori as a political po- football. Mm. Um, t- Chris Hipkins,
0: the Prime Minister there, he's, he's announced, right, Cyclone Relief, what about we're going to do a special lotto draw? What, what do you think of that decision?
13: Oh my goodness, we actually have the money there that we need to support those very communities struggling, and we would do far better to place an excess profits tax on industries and in areas like banks and supermarkets, that would be a simple and effective and sure way to raise the money for those very struggling communities, and, you know, that's the opportunity to tax them fairly. Mm.
0: What, what about, let's let's move um, then to those people around the suburbs and areas of Hawke's Bay, We're particularly around the, the, you know, closer to the metros there. Eskdale, Pukitapu, the residents there say they're feeling abandoned and forgotten by the government. Do, do you feel the government is doing
13: enough? Oh, and that sucks that they're feeling like that, and they shouldn't be. And so we'd like to push for them to make sure that they're getting the support that they need, because I when I when I've been hearing those stories, Nathan, I immediately thought of how um, families feel, you know, when they're grieving or when there's been a loss, mm. a, a death in the family. And for the first little bit, everyone's around you, and then they seem to disappear. Yeah. Um, and that that's that's pretty crappy. So the immediate priority has to be to make sure that they get what they need, and that the, it, we can't leave communities to their own. That's not what Aotearoa does. We have to figure out a way to make sure that they get the help that they need.
0: Yeah, and I know too a lot of communities that were helping and saying we can come in and help, a lot of them have had to go, I have to go back to my job now, I can't be here all day yeah. digging you out, and then it's it's just so hard, I think, for those people. Like you say, it's the, the bit you have a look at it and it's like one person versus that mountain of silt and you're like, I can't do this by myself, but when they when they disappear off, should, they, should Ministry of Social Development, should that offer a, a debt amnesty, do you think?
13: Oh, absolutely. There's right. no doubt about about that for us. Um, having a debt amnesty would put all of that money back into the direct hands of people on the lowest incomes and struggling the most, and that would give them dignity to feel in control of their lives and want to contribute to their community. And so, we're really clear about that in the Green Party, and agree with the Fair Futures report. Um, which is calling for that as well. Yeah. Marama, thank you very much
0: for being up early for us. Green Party co-leader Marama Davidson uh, there uh, about many things they're involved. Yeah, that's. I, I, I did wonder about that when the recovery started to happen, and it is like that. You, you, it's There's an initial burst of everyone helping out, and then you do feel a bit left by yourself. Uh, David wasn't able to follow the cricket. He said, it was so sad about that, and it was pretty amazing, uh, Jill in Christchurch says on Neighbours, I'm in a shared driveway of four townhouses plus the neighbours either side door walking bus to the local pub. Nice to catch up with an uh, independent venue. There we go. So it's just getting together and helping your neighbours in other areas. Morning Report is next with Kim and Corrin. From all of us here at First Up, have yourselves a wonderful day. We're back in your ears. A poor A